0: Coming up this week on Breaking Badness, today we discuss cracking the shell, how cybercriminals are using Wyoming shell companies for global attacks. Next up, it was a close, bizarre call. Bizarre call attack leverages Google Forms to increase perceived credibility. And of course, our fun game, gold guidance and grievances. With that, Breaking Badness is Next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 175, recorded on December 18th, 2023. I'm your co-host, Callie, Bazaar call me by your name Fensel, and with me, co-host Tim, Bazaar call me maybe Helming, and last but not least, Ian, Bazaar call is coming from inside the house, Campbell.
1: I think this might be a Breaking Badness first uh having All of the participants leverage the same idea for our our nicknames.
2: I was. I saw the first two, and uh, I knew I couldn't break the pattern.
0: (laughs) There's just a lot that you can do with call, which is nice. I'm just like versatile word. Oh yeah, because like the episode title for like the overarching episode is Bizarre Call of the Wild. Mm. So.
1: Jack London Approves
0: yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> from I guess it's just a, a, f- a fruitful, bizarre call and response.
1: <laughs> oh,
0: my gosh. Now I want to change the name of the episode to that.
1: <laughs> in, the, um, in Istanbul, there's a great, huge marketplace called the Grand Bazaar, at least in English. That's what it's called. And um, I always call it the Big Strange.
0: I like that, too.
1: I'll meet you in the Big Strange, which I have been to. It was pretty cool.
0: Meet You in the Big Strange. That sounds like a good indie movie. Absolutely. I would watch that.
1: Or a graphic novel. Oh, yeah. I Mm. could see that. Tim, you've got to. It's not a bad album name either.
0: I know. You got to get on this, Tim. You got to write that movie. Create something. Yeah. We'll write the graphic novel that will then become the movie.
1: Right. Yeah. I could move to LA and uh, just work on a screenplay. Yeah. We should put out a Domain Tools
2: fiction zine.
1: Just oh, have that a, would be fun.
2: Us all do a bunch of graphic novels and fiction. Uh, although uh, I suppose we'd probably have to keep it a little too safe to be too
1: interesting. <laughs> yeah, we probably would.
0: Yeah, but good good on us uh for our fun names. Ten out of ten, each of us. <laughs> I should we should not I don't know. My my parents always said you can't laugh at your own jokes, but I do that. All the time. <laughs> it's
1: charming. You, you just keep on doing that.
0: I I got to be me over here. That's right.
1: Yeah. If you can't amuse yourself, you know, what fun is life?
0: I know. That's what I said. <laughs> so uh, we should talk about some infosec, yeah?
1: Speaking of amusing ourselves.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> or, or maybe not.
0: Or maybe. I, I, I find this amusing. This like like both of you provided some very interesting articles this week that I'm excited to talk about. The first one, uh, is cracking the shell, which is, uh, you know, we're going to be talking about cyber criminals, uh, who are using Wyoming shell companies, um, for, for attacks. Um, so yeah, Ian, when you sent this over, I was like, all right, interesting. You got my attention. And, um, Raphael Satter, who wrote the article paints a very interesting picture up top. Um, So he he pens that a Somali reporter heard that a colleague was abducted and he didn't have a way of getting the word out because of digital sabotage. So can you expand on what that digital sabotage means?
2: Yeah, so the, the complainant was the chairman of the Somali journalists syndicate, and uh, their website and email system uh, were down due to a DDoS. And uh, so he couldn't use that well-known platform to more effectively get help for uh, for his colleague and found that pretty troubling.
0: And the reporter, um, I, I really hope I don't totally butcher this name, um, but Abdal uh, Ahmed Mumin uh, got help from Queer, Querium, which I'm gonna I'm gonna say that's how you pronounce Querium. Uh, can you tell us a little more about that that particular group?
2: Yeah, they're uh, they're interesting. They're a new name to me. Essentially, it's two separate bodies: uh, a digital hosting service. Uh, called Virtual Road with a Swedish media foundation wrapped around it. Uh, came about uh, in response to uh, uh, protests in Burma or uh, Myanmar. And uh, they provide paid hosting for journalism and news organizations with an emphasis on security and resiliency in the face of attacks and as a hosting company they all also represent a kind of firewall between the journalists that operate on there and takedown requests abusing dmca gdpr or other laws to try and censor uh, embarrassing content they've got some really interesting write-ups in the dark ops section of their website including campaigns utilizing hundreds of spurious domains to intimidate with legal requests or impersonate government officials. I'm going to have to go back soon and start uh, mining their articles for some things to look out for, because they had some really interesting write-ups.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When you're looking into that, please keep us you know, up to date on what you find. Um, so Querium was able to trace the cyber attack back to Wyoming, affectionately known as the cowboy state. Um, so why is... Wyoming, such an attractive place for cybercrime. Is it? Is it just to be, you know, a cowboy on the wild, wild west?
1: Why, oh Wyoming. <laughs> I,
2: I was actually trying to come up with a big, <coughs> big cyber space um, uh, joke, but unfortunately, big sky is Montana, isn't it?
0: Oh, I don't know. I only it is I only know Wyoming is the cowboy state because of uh, that movie SLC Punk. <laughs>
1: Their license plates have a uh, like a bucking bronco.
0: That makes sense. The
1: cowboy on it. (laughs)
2: Well, um, in terms of Wyoming, it's really, really easy to register an anonymous shell company in Wyoming. You don't even have to do it in person. You can contract remotely with a registered agent in Wyoming who agrees to be the public point of contact and then obfuscate all other information. This exists in other states, but Wyoming has made it cheaper and easier. It's a huge thing in Delaware from what from what I'm familiar with. Um, in addition, it, it also gives your fake business a US address. So it makes it much easier to set up digital services within the US so that if you're carrying out attacks or compromises, it shows as a domestic IP address and raises less alarm. The uh, registered agents take no responsibility for the folks that they supposedly partner with. And in most cases, it's incredibly simple to dissolve one spurious LLC and spin up a new one the next week to do the same thing and just rinse and repeat that process.
1: Why do I feel like all of this somehow ties back to Dick Cheney? <laughs> I, yeah,
0: I, everything that you just said, Ian, I do not love. Um, and uh, I don't love that for Delaware either. Is it? Do you happen to know, is it just as easy in Delaware or is it just mildly similar
2: i think it's similar i think it's easier and cheaper in wyoming Ooh. there's probably my my impression and i'm i'm obviously no expert here my impression is that there's less uh, accountability in wyoming versus delaware since every third person in the, the delaware area is a lawyer mm. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's Every third ju- that's person just in the Wyoming area isn't in Wyoming because <laughs> it's so sparsely populated.
0: All, all I know about Delaware is that scene from uh, uh, Wayne's World where they go, hi, I'm in Delaware. I was
1: that's in a Delaware uh, a couple of months ago. That I do like that deep cut. Yes, Wayne's World. Check it out. This, you know, we're not in our gold guidance and grievances, not in that order, but decent freebie guidance partway through catch Wayne's world again.
0: Ooh, yeah, always. That's always. I do
1: feel like, you know, whether it's Dick Cheney or not, I, I feel like this must have something to do with resource extraction companies originally.
0: Yeah. And and what have leg- like what do legislators in Wyoming have to say about this, Ian? Like what I'm assuming that it's, you know, partly, you know, their decision that that things are this easy.
2: Yeah, I'd I'd have to agree with you. There there hasn't been a whole lot of response. There have been some words from officials. Um, in terms of the article, we're actually linking the Wyoming the spokes uh, general counsel, excuse me, the general counsel for the Wyoming Secretary of State said that they would support new laws to tighten things up, and that they'd forward on the information Reuters provided for further investigation. All of which does nothing so far. Uh, I'm sure down the line, the uh, state legislators will form a legislative committee of some sort, put an ad in the newspaper as required for public comment, at which point the registry agents will come out of the woodwork and lobby against legislative changes. I doubt Wyoming will reach out to, say, a Swedish Media Foundation or a Somali journalist for opposing comment. So I, uh, the question is how much will actually get done.
0: Right, and I guess that kind of leads me to you know my final question, um, which is what sort of mitigations could be taken to prevent this? And it sounds like it's at you know more the it's at the state or the federal level to change the laws of how the shell companies are created, perhaps.
2: So I'm a fan of consequences. The one registered agent company that responded to uh, Reuters said it followed all in-state laws and did all required due diligence, which is probably their way of saying the check cleared to pay their fees. Realistically, the fastest patch here is to saddle registered agents with strict liabilities uh, pertaining to what their partnered companies do. Steep insurance requirements to cover monetary liabilities and professional consequences to one's ability to act as a registered agent. So hit them where it hurts. Hit them in the pocketbook when uh, they're just over and over re-registering bad actors.
0: Right. Exactly. And I don't know if if you know, in reading this article, I don't know if we we have a conclusion of what happened um, with the reporter that had gone missing that that Abdel Ahmad Mumin had reported or, you know, was trying to share is was there a closure to that story?
2: No, I don't believe there was a closure to that story in the article.
0: Mm, we're going to have to, you know, keep an eye on that for, you know, future like if there's an update in the future for sure. But I think, you know, this leads us, you know, nicely to um, you know, our hoodie rating. Um, and if you're a newer listener to um breaking badness, um, after we discuss each article that that we're we're talking about, we assign it a hoodie rating from one to ten. Uh, if you can picture the stereotypical hacker in a hoodie, that's what we're using. Um, and uh 10 is as bad as it can be. Um, and then one is, you know, not. Not to- not so bad. Patch your stuff. We can we can move on. So, hearing this story, Tim, I'm going to start with you. What what would you assign your hoodie rating?
1: A little bit hard for me to uh, determine exactly what this is, but from the perspective of things that your typical enterprise security shop or you know infosec practitioner need to be concerned about. I I don't feel like it's real high. Uh, the question of shell companies in general and fictitious organizations being used to hide the identities of criminal actors and those actors doing nasty stuff, of course, is pretty prevalent and and it's a, a real problem. But as we've seen uh, with a lot of our stories, you don't have to have a Wyoming shell company to do some fictitious stuff online and, and fish people or launch a ransomware attack or things like that. So this particular thing, I think from a hoodie perspective, I don't know, I'm going to, I'm going to call it about two and I'm very interested in, in Ian's response because there may be a aspect to it that I somehow am missing right now. But anyway, that's, that's about where I am. And as an aside, I wonder if we should start a, a breaking badness, um, Uh, company in Wyoming. I don't know what we'd do with it, but we'll come up with something.
0: Well, that's how we start our spinoff podcasts, where we finally talk about music and movies and all the other things that we get sidetracked with. Certainly. (laughs) Yeah. Ian, what what about you? What are you thinking hoodie-wise?
2: I want to love it. There's part of it. Um, that uh, a part of me that really wants to love it because uh, setting up shell companies and things like that is uh, it it appeals to that old school cyberpunk type in me that that old school cyberpunk intrigue but really it's just a legislature that leaves the door wide open and a bunch of jerks who walk right through it so i I can't respect or appreciate it and it saddens me so i'm gonna i'm gonna stick with a two as well
0: twos across the board okay so there's a theme to this episode where we all pick very similar fun names and our hoodie ratings are also very similar but we might we might find out differently though on the next article so we're gonna take a short break but when we come back we're gonna we're gonna talk about our next article which was it was a close bizarre call and we're gonna talk to tim about that so please stay tuned and we'll be right back
1: Ho, 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 Breaking Badness listener. Now, we know that it's pretty likely that you've got a lot going on this time of year, whether it's scrambling to get those EOY MBOs done ASAP, or getting out on that summer vacation if you're south of the equator, or, I don't know, shopping for stuff and putting lights on whatever surfaces seem lightworthy to you. But yet, here you are, listening to Breaking Badness, and we're so glad that you are. Want to give the gift of Breaking Badness to someone you love? Well... Here's the great news. It won't cost you a dime. Just send them the link. Thanks so much. And now back to the show. Ho, ho.
0: Well, welcome back. How was the break, everybody?
1: Oh, man. I did not finish all my holiday shopping during that break, actually.
0: No? Because, no, oh, no. Strangely enough. It was, I, but so it I, was...
2: I was playing video games. Uh, I was playing the new Bizarre Call of Duty.
0: Bizarre Call of Duty. <laughs> I would, well lo- I would love to play Bizarre Call of Duty.
1: <laughs> by the way, you know, hearkening back to our article from before the break, uh, I'm going to give some more free guidance before we get to gold guidance and grievances. Not in that order. Heck yeah. It is just read anything by Raphael Satter. He's fantastic.
0: I really enjoyed I, I'm I don't think this is my first Raphael Satter article, but um he really does paint an excellent picture of of what he's talking about. It was it flowed so nicely. Um yeah, can of course say. I'm
1: not influenced at all by the fact that he occasionally attributes things to domain tools, but uh um no, he's he's great Yeah. Check his stuff out for yeah. sure. We
0: would do it other, we would read his stuff otherwise, like anyway. <laughs>
1: Correct. So so I would comment
2: here, but instead I'm just going to cryptically refer everyone to our later gold guidance and grievances.
1: All right. Excellent. Stay tuned.
0: Yeah. So so we're going to talk about uh, it was a close bizarre call where but it, there's a bizarre call attack leveraging Google Forms to increase uh, perceived credibility. So Tim, um, bizarre call attacks have been around for a little while. Um, can you explain how this is? Attack works and how it gained notoriety?
1: I sure can. So, the calling card, sorry, not sorry, of this group is a form of phishing attack where the miscreant lures the victim into getting on a phone call with them and ultimately harvesting credentials. And whether that is ultimately for in service of ransomware or simple theft, et cetera, probably is is variable um, and not known in this specific event. But anyway, this kind of social engineering leverage is something that we just talked about in our recent episode with Null Cookies. Check that out if you haven't already, by the way. Um, and it's something I call opt-out psychology and so originally and still some of the time phishing uses an opt-in strategy meaning that the victim is enticed by something that the phisher is offering or they feel compelled to take some action like we see in business email compromise but opt out cleverly abuses our wariness and uh, our very vigilance for fraud. Uh, The Fisher sends what looks like a confirmation of a subscription or some other payment, and the lure will say something like, if you believe this to be an error, do whatever action. And whatever action in this case with uh, Bazaar Call or Baza Call or It goes by both of those names. So let's just agree that we're going to switch back and forth arbitrarily between those two versions of the name through the whole rest of this segment. Anyway, the action they want the victim to take is get on the phone with them and ultimately give them their credentials. Um, And unfortunately, they've had a lot of success with this. So it seems like the power of the human voice works well for convincing potential victims that the Fisher is legit.
0: I'm so scared of this type of attack because I'm the kind of person that uh, if I got an email for like a bill, that's, you know, I'm not expecting. I'm the type of person that's like, I'm going to get on the phone and I'm going to talk to
1: somebody. Remember, (laughs) I'm the
2: opposite. I I never want to get on the phone. If you want me on the phone, you're going to have to do something incredibly big to get me to call you back. But, uh, I mean, millennials being millennials, um, I think that's one of our defining traits.
0: But I'm a millennial, too. I'm just an anomaly. (laughs) (laughs) We always
2: knew you were special, Callie.
0: Well, you know, I'm sending out cards that have wax stamps on them. so (laughs)
1: Yes, that's yes. the throwback we're, we're we're fans of. That's this is yes. all good.
0: Yeah, but um, Tim, do attackers you know need to know anything special about the intended victims? Um, and I I ask because the article mentioned that the phishing email includes the amount to be charged, uh, which is you know it ranges between fifty dollars and five hundred dollars. You know, it said depending on. The description. So, does that mean the attackers had to do some homework on their victims? You know, instead of casting just like a general wide net.
1: Well, ironically, no, uh, not at all. And this is part of the nature of this whole opt-out psychology. And this has got to be one of the things that's appealing about this for uh, for these particular slash call slash uh, bazaar call fishers which is um basically uh you know the victim could look at the fish and if it doesn't match up with anything that they're expecting they'll, they're they're going to go whoa this is total fraud um so yeah I'm going to get these people on the horn pronto and I'm going to straighten this out um, but even if it was a an example of a spearfish where they had done their homework um you know, that same process still applies. So either it's, yeah, this looks sort of familiar, but slightly wrong. So I'm going to go straighten it out. Or this looks like absolute fraud. And uh, thank goodness these people got in touch with me to warn me about the potential fraud. And I'll happily get on the phone with them and give them all of my account information so that they can fix it.
0: I say things like pronto too, so... (laughs) That's another. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't yes, do that. And
1: getting on the horn.
0: <laughs> I'm like, get on the horn. I still
1: answer the phone saying a oh, hooey hooey.
0: Get on the horn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's my best. This has
2: suddenly become a Dick Tracy episode. <laughs> yeah,
1: totally.
0: <laughs> and when I get you on the I did horn, see
1: my t- wife speaking to her watch yesterday.
0: Whoa. <laughs> I, I saw one of my. You know, as you guys know, I, I used to do stand up comedy and I watched one of my friends do a, a show recently and he has on his Apple watch and he like looks at it and he goes, oh, I'm just getting pings of people being like, what time's the comedy show? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, by the way, Callie, you know, you started off that question with the the matter of the, you know, a charge for fifty dollars or five hundred dollars or whatever. And it reminds me of a, a great joke that I saw on mastodon uh, yeah which is this a boy asked his bitcoin investing dad for one bitcoin for his birthday dad what seven thousand nine hundred fifty four dollars three thousand two hundred fifty four dollars is a lot of money what do you need five hundred and sixty two dollars for anyway
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so shout out to uh that would be daddy joker at Mastodon online
0: perfect yep love that So, um, so, uh, bizarre call attacks now have this new element using, uh, Google forms. Uh, Um, what does that entail?
1: Yeah. So this is interesting to me because I would actually think that Google forms would be kind of a dead giveaway in that I don't imagine a large legit organization, uh, well, setting aside Wyoming shell companies, but, uh. Um, other than maybe like a non-profit using Google Forms for any kind of invoicing or any other official communication. But anyway, uh, the way that this plays out is like this. So the Fisher creates a Google Form and they populate it with the details about this phony transaction, like an invoice number, date, method of payment, information about whatever product or service it is that was purportedly purchased, etc. So then they go on to the next step, which you may be familiar with if you've ever created a google form so you go over to the settings tab and enable the response receipt option this sends a copy of the completed form to the email address that's entered into the first field and get this scally the fisher sends the invitation to complete the form to themselves. wait what yep that's correct they send it to themselves hang on hang on i'll get to why they do that so When they get this email to themselves the fisher clicks the fill out form button which pops up the google form and then they enter the target the would-be victims email address in the your email field and they submit it and then because the attacker enabled that response receipt option what happens is the target receives a copy of this completed google form uh, which in the example from this article that we're linking to, the Fisher had designed it to look like a payment confirmation for Norton antivirus. Um so fundamentally this is basically just the method they use to compose and create this sort of semi-convincing looking invoice form.
0: Yeah, and and because it is you know, we talk about you said it's somewhat convincing, but so like well, why to me,
1: but you know, I'm a big skeptic.
0: Yeah. Uh, everybody's out there with their optimism and, (laughs) and their hope. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, But, you know, if it's somewhat convincing, you know, to, you know, to some people, like, why is, you know, why is detection so difficult in this type of attack?
1: Yeah. So, so when we talk about detection, I think it's, um, like automated detection in an enterprise email system or something like that, and um, it has to do with the fact that, unlike so much of what we talk about on this here podcast, this particular fish does not use infrastructure that the fisher set up it doesn't use spoof domains or obscure infrastructure that might ordinarily tip off either the victim or their i t department or the the messaging gateway rule set or whatever, that the communication is illegitimate. In this case, everything's coming from Google infrastructure. And, you know, I think we can pretty much safely say that that infrastructure is not going to be blocked basically anywhere.
0: Right. That makes sense. Um, So does that mean there's no way to prevent this type of attack?
1: Ah, well, Let's distinguish between detection and prevention. Prevention is hard in the sense that, like I was saying, you're not going to probably be able to just auto block this in your uh, in your mail filter uh, by virtue of blocking newly created domains or using some of the typical anti-spam measures, which anti-spam measures often work as anti-phishing measures. Also, you know, you're thinking of things like SPF or DKIM, but, um, What I would would argue that this is a good example of where phishing education can really go a long way. So if I were on a corporate security team, like Ian is, I might put out a communication to my users saying that Google Forms are not a common method of confirming transactions from legitimate organizations. And therefore, if they receive an email sent directly from Google Forms, with the sender address being forms, receipts, no reply at Google, and the sender display name being Google Forms, well, they should treat that email with a lot of skepticism, assuming that it's not, you know, like an RSVP for your bowling league or a survey from your ornithological society or whatnot. Um, Now, speaking of detection or prevention, I will say the article that we're linking to here was written by a security company that has products that they say will be effective against this kind of attack. I don't personally have any direct knowledge of their stuff, which is uh, AI ba- AI based. So I can't comment on uh, the efficacy of it. But I do think in this case, education would go a long way against this type of fish. You know, actual Norton antivirus or even most resellers of it probably are not going to use Google Forms for their invoicing. So, you know, I think it's it's interesting. It's sort of it offers insight into a different way to create a um, a fictitious document that has somewhat convincing looking uh, trappings around it. But I think ultimately there are ways for, for humans to spot these things and maybe not get pulled in by them.
2: Do we want to bet on whether it's actual AI in the products, Tim, or whether it's just sparkling statistics?
1: <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, that's uh, that's always the question, and I did not dig in deep enough to figure out whether I think it's like, like you know, I think practically nothing is actually AI yet.
0: Oh, that's interesting. It's all
1: sparkling statistics.
0: That, that well, I feel like that's at least half an episode that we could cover that. Like, this is honestly the first time I've heard of Is it actual AI or sparkling statistics? (laughs) But I love that. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: Tim, do you think- Well, you know, because it can't be called AI unless it's from the AI region (laughs) of France.
2: What we should do is uh, say late January, early February, commandeer some whiskey and get tim and i talking about ai and that'll be an extra special explicit episode
1: that's right (laughs) whiskey tim ian ai and a couple of microphones the episode (laughs) writes itself
0: oh my gosh i would love to that's that sounds hilarious um tim do you think this is uh something that the fine folks at mog will probably be discussing at the next conference
1: Uh, I, you know, maybe in passing, I don't think this is, I don't think this particular thing is going to make a big enough splash to be a substantial part of their next conference. But, uh, I don't know, you know, as an aside, I've never been to uh, a MOG conference and I do look forward to going someday.
0: Okay. Well, I think that leads us nicely into our hoodie rating. Um, if you feel like it's not necessarily splashy enough for a MOG conference, how splashy do you feel it is for a hoodie?
1: Is that a question being thrown to a particular one of us?
0: Oh, I was yeah, I'm going to throw it to you since that's where we since uh it, okay. since it like it felt like it was natural for the question. Okay. So I'm, I'm a, uh, I apologize.
1: I totally mis- I fumbled the handoff.
0: It's okay. it's okay.
1: You know, second down. Um I would say uh this is another one that I'm not going to give this a really high hoodie rating. It's always worthwhile to talk a little bit about these uh, these campaigns that use this opt-out psychology and, and the notion that just because somebody wants to get you on the phone potentially does not mean that it's legit and that you shouldn't be concerned about it. So those things are worth talking about. I'm going to give this... 2.5 hoodies and the .5 of a hoodie is going to be uh the left half. Okay. Which makes you wonder how the hoodie's going to stay on, you know, you might have to use a little
0: uh,
1: uh well-hidden duct tape or something.
0: Yeah, for sure. No. Yeah, it could be like intense.
1: Scrooged. And the you
2: remember in Scrooged when they were trying to put the antlers on the mice and uh, Bill Murray suggested
1: staples? <laughs> <laughs> yep, yeah, stapling could uh, could work. <laughs>
0: Perfect. What about so, Ian, what about you? What are you thinking hoodie wise?
1: Uh, I,
2: I think I'm going to continue our trend with this episode and agree with Tim. Um, it's not particularly sophisticated. I think they get the extra 0.5 from the um, whoever was the first person who actually set up the form, sent it, and realized they could send it to themselves and then fill it in and uh, uh, send it on to someone else through Google infrastructure. That earns the extra 0.5. But I think if Google took security of uh, recipients seriously they could do a lot more to stop these kind of attacks that use their infrastructure google's not worried about that compared to uh, whatever ad analytics that they can uh, get out of users so they don't put nearly as much resources towards it okay
0: that makes sense wow look at all this agreement we have <laughs> on this episode but i so guess so
1: harmonious
0: I know, but I guess I'm like, well, we're not It's not cross- exactly
1: like I get in street fights with Taylor most weeks.
0: Right, that's true. But it's not... I Yeah, I'm like, wow. Like, agreement on both articles, similar names. It's like, well, I guess this isn't crosstalk, so...
1: You know, we fine. really need to be data-driven around here, so we should probably have a running graph of the distance between the hoodie ratings between the two co-hosts. You know,
0: the, I, I have the data, and I could do that, so... <laughs> oh, man, but this, yeah, this type of attack scares me. I did get on the phone once with a scammer, not, not from, you know, this particular attack, but I just remember I was in a hotel. Somebody called me at midnight and said they needed my credit card number. And they're just like, well, I messed up and I need your credit card number before my boss finds out. And um, like, and I yeah. go, <laughs> I was 22. Too, I think when this happened, and I was like, you know, spicy. So I go, oh, that wasn't very professional of you. And he
2: goes,
0: <laughs> and he goes actually, I'm very professional. <laughs> and
1: I was Young just, lady.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, I can't believe like a scammer, like the thing that made them upset was that I called them unprofessional. Seriously. But oh. I did. I did not give them my credit card number, though, like. I think, like, even back then, this is, you know, well over a decade ago. Like, I still, I'm, I'm very proud that I was just like, We're, we'll handle this in the morning. We're, there's no need to handle this at midnight. That's right. <laughs> all right.
1: And by handle this, I mean, I'll ignore you that time.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, I go to the front desk the next day and I tell them about it. And, of course, it was, like, all creepy where they're like, the only person here last night was Manuel, or who, whomever. Somebody who you know has has an accent, and I didn't speak to somebody with an accent. So, um, you know, you so.
2: Yeah, there's a long running theory that one of the major um, travel booking websites is uh, has been compromised uh, for a long time and continues to get recompromised. And what Mm. it shows up as is uh, communications, uh, usually specifically about hotel bills and reconfirming your credit card for the hotel. Um, so, uh, it's, it's definitely not an unknown thing. Uh, I don't think there's been specific evidence of the compromise other than the fallout from it and the company involved keeps denying it, but it happens a lot and continues to happen. It, it's been like two years now that th- this thing has been ongoing. Wow.
1: I'm going to wonder be- what Troy Hunt
2: knows about that.
0: Yeah, I wonder.
2: Probably more than he can say on a podcast.
1: That would be my guess.
0: I will slack you the name of that company because I did use the third party app. Ian, I'm going to slack that to you after this podcast.
2: <gasps> yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> well, do we want to, uh, before we sign off, move into gold guidance and grievances? Not in that order. I do. I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Yeah, I'm down. Perfect. So, if uh, again, if you're a newer listener, for uh, first of all, welcome. Uh, at the end of our podcast, we like to sign off with um, what we call gold guidance and grievances. Uh, parentheses, not in that order, uh, because we did find after a few episodes of doing it in that order. Uh, we leave the show on kind of a downer note. So, we're in an effort to not do that, uh, we start with the grievances and work our way backward to the gold. Um, and you can you can pretty much glean what we're what we're talking about through the names. We're going to talk about something that's bothering us within the industry, um, some um, some advice that we might have, and then um, something good, uh, something positive that we can. We can leave and sign off with. Uh, so, yeah. Um, so, Tim, you just shared your article. So maybe, Ian, can we start with you on your gold guidance and grievances? Not in that order.
2: Certainly. Uh, my grievance, and I might have had the same grievance last time, It's going to be Microsoft. I, uh, I'm a gamer. And uh, granted, I've been uh, using my PC a lot more. But for years, I was an Xbox player. And I uh, recently uh, booted my Xbox One back up and started updating it. And as soon as the updates were done, what does it do but throw me straight into an advertising splash screen that I have uh, no way of getting out of without looking at and interacting with? Um, And it's just one of those things that uh, cements Microsoft's descent into ad platform hell. Uh, it just it, I have no trust from Microsoft anymore uh, for all sorts of reasons, including uh, all the ad stuff that they're trying to integrate into uh, Windows at this point. But for me to for the first booting my Xbox for the first time in like four months and updating it and then getting thrown straight into a, uh, an ad rather than uh, into my sign in screen, that peeved me.
1: You know, I uh, just rebooted a Windows 10 machine this weekend, and uh, it it did that charming thing where uh, there had been no indication or warning of this, but as soon as I uh, entered the restart cycle, it said, do not shut off your computer, installing updates. So I love that. It turns a two- or three-minute reboot into 20 minutes or whatever it was, and i didn't see what was updated but i have the feeling half of it was probably just more marketing stuff so i hear you
2: yeah they're forcibly backporting the windows copilot ai stuff in uh from windows 11 uh backporting it into windows 10 now so yeah probably not going to be a welcome uh, reboot um for my guidance, um, which is also kind of half a grievance, it's it's the kind of guy I am. And I, I, I would apologize, but I'd be lying. Um, my guidance is to move off of Google Chrome. Um, the uh, Again, the trajectory that Google has been on in terms of turning all its platforms into advertising intelligence platforms uh, kind of irks me. And uh, some of the stuff they allow you to opt out for who knows what they're not actually um, uh, coming clean with or what they won't allow you to opt out of in the future. So I'm, I'm much more a fan of uh, other browsers, especially Firefox. So my my guidance would be to move if you use Google Chrome as a browser, move off that and onto Firefox for all sorts of reasons. Also block ads. It's a security oh, step.
1: Gee. And surveillance capitalism is for your own good. Don't you realize that?
0: you want to know something funny is you know how we use so many puns on this show and just kind of at domain tools in general
1: i've i'm familiar with the idea you're
0: familiar uh now i'm getting targeted ads for um a game oh and of course i can't remember the game but i sent it to our uh resident pun champion kelsey puns of anarchy i can't believe i couldn't remember that
1: oh that's good (laughs) Uh, so how, yeah. How does
2: one get termed our resident pun champion? Because I might have to challenge Kelsey for that title.
0: Oh, I want to see that.
1: Yeah, she's been pun challenged so far.
0: I, I feel like <laughs> there's gonna be a throwdown and I am here for it. Absolutely. Oof. I can Absolutely. I can I can do it. I come up with the puns, but you know, I I have to I need some time. She can do it, um, you know, within a second. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm over here just, you know, needing to, you know, sit on it for a while. So, you know, it is what it is, but I've accepted it. Um, But uh, Ian, did you have a gold?
2: I do. And it's the aforementioned Reuters reporter, Raphael Satter. Um, He's had some amazing stories lately and uh, really over the past couple of years, but especially lately, he's cracked three or four different huge stories for Reuters. In addition to the uh, one we were talking about, his real big story lately has been about an uh, Indian hacking company. Uh, called Appin that got people so riled that um, they actually sued Reuters in India and Reuters was forced to pull the uh, article down while that gets settled uh, through litigation. But um, as long as I've read him, which has been years now, his reporting has been unimpeachable and his, his knowledge base about Everything surrounding the issue—not just the technical, but the geopolitical and the personal—have always been um, uh, straight on uh, on target. So I I just really appreciate his uh, reporting.
1: Hundred percent. Yep. He Chris Bing comes to mind. Same same idea too. Um, always worth reading in the cybers.
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah yeah that and they don't sensationalize. That's the other thing.
1: They, no, that's uh, right.
2: you know they don't talk it uh, you know uh, they don't talk it up. they don't uh, try to make it dramatic. They present the information that's there and usually that's sensational enough on its own.
0: as it, as it should be. I like that. Well th- thanks Ian. those were those were some great gold guidance and grievances, not in that order. Uh, I'm gonna kick it over to Tim for his now.
1: All right. So let's see for my grievance. Well, there was a story about uh, the new uh, the new version of Google Glass, which this time is courtesy of Meta. It's some kind of Ray-Ban glasses that include a camera and a microphone. So everybody is a on the street reporter now. But uh, the question, of course, raised by this is, is everybody who participates in this by uh, getting this wearable device, participating in guess what surveillance capitalism. So, um, the answer is a definite maybe, and I tend to land on the side of yeah, of course it is. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not wild about that kind of thing. So, uh, and augmented reality, I I don't need it. I'm not sure I ever will, but maybe that's because I'm just old fashioned. I don't know. My guidance. Uh, also, actually, has to do with connected cameras, but it's uh, and I've I've always had this skepticism. But be be really skeptical and be practice as much safety as you can around online cameras. So there's an article in Ars Technica about this time. It's Unify devices that are uh, that have been uh, sending user A's video over to user B um, because of some kind of internal. glitch or problem that they have. So, but, you know, these, uh, these cameras, whether it's the doorbells or, uh, you know, internal baby monitor or whatever pan, tilt, zoom cameras that you can connect uh, with IP addresses, firewall those things, try to keep as little of the phoning back to the mothership as possible. Um, use a pie hole to, uh, to do some DNS gray listing, um, whatever your favorite security tool of the trade is, but, um, but be careful with those, uh, those cameras. And then, and it's, by the way, it's not just who knows where your video is going and that's unsettling enough, but of course these devices can become, if they, uh, you know, if somebody finds them on showdown or whatnot, they can become a jumping off point into your internal network as well. So that's always fun. Uh, so that,
2: uh, that Unify story uh, sent me over the edge when I read it, because Unify used to be a really well-regarded company that was one of the few places where you could get good cameras that would interact with open source software, uh, like open source DVRs, and you wouldn't have to touch the cloud at any given point. And they threw all that away and forced everyone onto only their proprietary cloud uh, system. So all those people uh, just got, uh, you know, possibly compromised needlessly.
1: I know it's going to have to come down to uh, sort of open source, hack your own cameras uh, if you really want to be safe about this stuff, unfortunately. So, yeah, I'm with you there. Um, for my gold, I had a couple of different things, uh, but, uh, Callie, did you know that hot rocks can help solve the climate crisis?
0: I did not know that. What, well, do, you, what do you, mean by hot, what, about, like, what do you mean by hot rocks?
1: Well, as an aside, actually, there's a movie from about 1970, 71, somewhere in there with Robert Redford called the hot rock. It's a comedy. It's hilarious. It's a little bit hard to find, but if you can find it. It's a lot of fun, based on a Donald Westlake novel of the same title. Very fun. Um, but, no, these hot rocks are actual physical rocks which get heated up to around uh, 3,000 degrees by uh, uh, photovoltaic arrays. And the idea here is that we, the problem with renewable energy like wind and solar uh, is that, of course, those things are not always going on, right? The sun has this habit of setting approximately once a day and rising approximately once a day. And uh, while it's down, of course, you're not getting any solar energy and the wind has this propensity to not always be blowing. Uh, And when it's not, then your turbines aren't really spinning. So what do you do during those times? Well, if you could capture the excess energy that you're getting while the sun is shining, while the wind is blowing, well, then you can, if you can store that somehow in it like a great big battery, well, then you can use that energy when the sun isn't shining and the wind isn't blowing. So, but the problem is traditional chemical batteries just don't scale the way you would need them to. So there've been all kinds of different schemes that have been proposed for how to capture the excess energy and then store it uh, so that it can be used during, uh, you know, off production times. And this method is showing more promise than some of the, there've been all kinds of crazy ideas like use it to run compressors and compress air into underground cavities where that compressed air later on can be released to spin a generator something like that or use it to even like crank a great big weight up uh, up to a high on a high tower or something like that and then uh, later on that weight sort of runs down the tower and turns some gears which spins a generator and makes electricity there's there's a lot of different ways to potentially do this but it heating up these rocks, um, to 3000 degrees is, uh, is a way that's actually showing a lot of promise. So there's uh, there was a cool article on Slashdot uh, that linked to this, uh, talking about how this might be one of the ways to help solve the so-called battery problem. Actually, I don't know if it's so-called, that's what I'm calling it, but the, uh, the battery problem here for, um, for solar energy in this case, when the, uh, when the sun's Heating up other people.
0: That sounds really cool. I'm very, I'm interested in that. Yeah.
1: All, uh, renewable energy stuff is, uh, is pretty fascinating as a field in general. So yeah, I thought that was cool. I'm calling yeah. it my goal.
2: Awesome. That um, rocks Tim.
0: Yeah. <laughs> 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 all right, Ian, you're ahead of Kelsey right now, but she's not here. So <laughs> oh, good, good puns all around. Well, thank you so much both to both of you um for, you know, sharing your insights on, you know, both of those stories and your gold guidance and grievances. We we really appreciate it. And when I say we, I mean, you know, myself and uh, all of the all of our listeners, of course. Tom so Hanks
1: Tom Hanks,
0: others. we're going one of these days he's going to he's going to come on the show and maybe if he can't, maybe his brother who does the voice for Woody on all the video games will right. instead and nobody will know.
1: You know, we haven't talked much about Bill Murray and Bill Murray has this great habit of kind of showing up and doing random things for people, you know, yeah, covering somebody's cab fare or whatnot. And, uh, you know, so maybe he'll show up on Breaking Badness. I hope so. So, Bill, you know, if you're listening, uh, come by anytime.
0: Yes, we are. We are very welcoming. Please come on over. <laughs> But all right, we, uh, I'm going to wrap it up now. And uh, we hope to catch you uh, next week for another episode of Breaking Badness. Stay frosty out there, everybody.
1: Ian, always great to have you on. Cheers, everyone.
2: Yeah, always great to be here. Have a good week, folks, and a good holiday.
0: That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at DomainTools.com resources podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.